Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. Happy Thanksgiving week, everyone. Andy, I don't know if there's a holiday that has changed more for me <laughs> from college to now than Thanksgiving. I mean, it used to be five days of absolutely nothing, and now it's like the busiest time of year for us uh, you got football you got basketball you got we even have hockey on thanksgiving this year and of course if you have a family uh, you're gonna have uh, events going on with that too uh, what are your plans for thanksgiving uh going to richmond to see the in-laws and you're right like this time of year you go oh it's nice to have a, a short week like this and the, you know, the friday game is one last day to rice i was like well it's actually you have to comp- like cram a week's worth of material into two and a half days of writing because we need to get all the stuff in early for deadlines and stuff like that around the holidays. So this is actually an incredibly stressful and difficult week for a sports writer, uh, especially when they play the game on Friday. At least if it's on Saturday, you have that little extra day, uh, you know, Friday, Black Friday, you can actually sit around and write some of your advanced stuff. But now you're going to have to get it all done ahead of time unless you want to work on Thanksgiving, which I don't. So uh, today and tomorrow will be sort of a scramble to get things done. Yeah, this is a huge soccer day, man. UEFA Champions League MLS Conference Snooze. Finals. Nobody <laughs> cares. This is a college football podcast, okay? We don't care about your soccer betting. I'm whatever. just saying. Uh, we I, don't care. I'm going to have to like you know, just keep one eye on that stuff while, while actually working. So, All right, well, here's what we're going to do today. Of course, we're going to talk all about the Virginia matchup, but – and normally I would just skim over Pitt because, you know, who cares when you're going into the rivalry week. But that finish was so extraordinary that I think we should talk about Pitt. And we'll start there. Andy, um, the play, I wrote entirely about Reggie Floyd's catching of we or we, however you say it, um, from behind. Obviously, if, if the defense doesn't hold, that doesn't matter at all. But it did give them an opportunity to put their best unit out there and see what happens in a, in a confined space. When and tell me, take me through your thought process because I know you said to me, "Well, maybe they should just let him score." Well, I when he originally was uh, ruled down, I said, "You know, that maybe it's worse than just letting him score there. If you let him score, you have a minute with the ball. Maybe you can come down and get a field goal real quick." And I, you know, I said. I asked Fuente afterwards, uh, you know, at the time I was thinking, you know, maybe it's better if they do score here. It gives you an opportunity to at least have, you know, control of the ball and whether you can go down and actually put up points. And he said it crossed his mind briefly, but he just he just couldn't take it out of the defense's hands uh, in that situation. And, you know, we've been critical of Fuente's decision making lately, but that is a big decision made in a moment's notice. And it was the right one. I mean, you wouldn't think, I mean, even for a defense as good as Bud Foster's to stop Pitt, a tremendous running team that, you know, had struggled throughout the day running the ball, but to get a yard, you know, I think Pat Narduzzi afterwards is like, you know, we didn't block well on the, you know, Pitt's, or Virginia Tech's got a great defense, but we got to be able to get a yard, right. four chances to get a yard and they can't get a yard. Uh, I would not have liked those odds going into that four-down situation that the Hokies would just stonewall them on four straight opportunities like that. Three of them runs that just had nothing going. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I mean, it, it happened. I'm like, it maybe would have been better if they just scored the touchdown there. Uh, as it turned out, I'm foolish. 
you know, these coaches know a lot more than I do, <laughs> obviously. I, but I honestly, you know, I tweeted it and I left it up there. It's not like I'm going to delete the tweet or something like that. But I feel like a lot of people out there had that exact same thought at that moment. Well, yeah, I retweeted it because I, I agreed with you. It wasn't like I was like, oh, he's so stupid for trying to play this out. I think if 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 Sly were healthy and if if Jackson had been playing better this month. He's just kind of really struggled to hit some, you know, some average passes. Um, I didn't have a lot of faith in them being able to move the ball down, but you're still, you know, you're still juxtaposing those two options. You know, it's, it's neither one is a great option, but I think with your kicker hurt and you, you're starting to put some more uh, pros on that side of, of let's try and let our best unit do this. Yeah, and you know, Fuentes was faced with a couple of those sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't situations. They had the two point conversion. You know, they were up nineteen to fourteen. You go for two in that situation. They did. They get it. Ineligible man downfield. Uh, all of a sudden, that backs it up. Uh, you know, he's from the eight yard line. I probably still would have gone for two there. There were six and a half minutes left. Fuente ended up kicking the extra point. He said getting eight yards is tough in that situation. You know, those are the kind of tough situations, you know, decisions you have to make in a moment's notice. And, you know, I guess I can kind of see going for two there. Uh, you know, if, if Pitt gets a quick field goal and, you know, they force a stop, get the ball back, all of a sudden you're looking at the prospect of losing on a field goal instead of being tied in that situation. Uh, as it turns out, he, he kind of got bailed out by that defense at the very end, uh, you know, by getting the stop there. They don't lose by one. But, uh, you know, this all goes into, you know, this is – you know, blink of an eye decision making that they have to make. And sometimes it's easy, you know, you and I do it all the time after the fact. It's like, oh, I would have done this instead. Right. It's like, well, that's easy with the benefit of 18 hours of hindsight and no pressure. And, you know, you're not going to face the fallout if you do choose incorrectly. Uh, so, you know, I think that kind of goes into a little bit of what a head coach has to think through on every single decision when it, when it comes up. Yeah. In none of those decisions did I in the moment think this is crazy. Like I did in Georgia tech, like, what are they doing here? Like I, I didn't have those feelings. Like you said, I mean, these are, these are tough kind of 50, 50 choices that you could, you could make a really decent case either side or make a, a case against both of them because they're, they're both kind of not ideal. Um, so, I, you know, I wasn't sitting there going, this, you know, Fuente's losing him them this game like I kind of felt like at, at George Tech. But they get the win. Um, you know, very, real celebratory senior day for those guys. And, I, you know, I was curious what you think the difference is between being 8-3 and three and 7-4 and four is at this point. I mean, because, uh, you know, you just might say, well, what's the big deal? They, they won a, a close game against a team they were supposed to pound. Um, what is the difference there, do you think? Well, I think there's a lot of difference from a mental state going into this final week. Uh, if you're coming in on a three-game losing streak, two, you know, one game you were supposed to lose to Miami probably, uh, one is maybe a toss-up with Georgia Tech, and one you should not have lost against Pitt, uh, I think that's sort of a demoralizing slide that they have in the second half of the season here. You know, that probably coupled with all the injuries – uh, you know, sometimes that really affects a team on the field. They start to get, it starts to get into their mind like, oh, nothing's going right. You know, this could be uh, another loss here. Uh, you know, from just sort of a practical standpoint with the Bulls and everything, you know, eight and three right now is the second best record in the ACC or third best record in the ACC behind Clemson and Miami. Uh, you've got NC State, Wake Forest, and Louisville all at seven and four. Uh, that matters in sort of a postseason pecking order. And you know, it's not they don't have this. Uh, 
a strict one loss rule with it with their two loss rule within the ACC the standings like they used to uh, but it does come into play I think with that tier two and tier one bowls uh, but being eight and three they probably put themselves in a pretty good position to get to the camping world bowl or if it comes open the citrus bowl uh, possibly or you know you know dream scenario for the ACC they get two teams in the play say say Clemson like barely beats Miami in the ACC championship and somehow both those teams uh, get into the playoff the next highest ranked team in the college football rankings would go to the Orange Bowl I, I don't think it's going to get to that that is a one in a million scenario right now but it does matter to be playing well and to be highly ranked. So I think from a mental state, just not being on a three-game losing streak coming into this game, I mean, you see some of the fan reactions right now just barely escaping that game. Could you imagine what it would be if they are coming in with a three-game losing streak yeah. to play UVA? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, the line comes out on Sunday night, and it's Virginia Tech by eight as a road favorite. It's now at seven and a half. It's, it's gone down as far as seven, and now it's at seven and a half. When I first heard that number, I was surprised, um, even though I've decided, and, I've, and I wrote about this for Tuesday's paper, just that I'm never going to pick Virginia until they actually win this game. I'm, I'm tired of getting burned on that whole uh, idea, that notion that they're going to win. I think when they do win, I, I do think when Virginia wins this game, it's going to be a, a destruction. I think they're going to actually everything's going to come together for them, and they're going to win like, you know, forty-two to ten or something like that. That's, that's how I see it ending. But because anytime it's a close game, you're just like, well, you know, there's the football, you know, there, there's Lucy with it, and here comes Charlie Brown. But anyway, the, the line when it came out, what did you think? Thought it was high. Uh, it was sort of my initial impression when I saw the pit line last week, which was what was it? Fifteen and, 15 and, a, half. and a half. I thought that was way too high for the way this. Hokies offense has been playing I just think I don't know I think maybe people are looking at the records when they see that I don't I don't exactly know why it'd be a touchdown or more in this game given the way the two teams have played lately and I, I will say this with Virginia I feel like it's a, a much more potent team but you look this is a team that still lost four or five games in the second half of the season all four of those losses have been by 16 points or more yeah. so it's it's not like they're they're playing well every single week and they're right in this yeah they kind of jumped on Miami last week and shocked them you know still gave up 30 unanswered in the second half to lose that game uh, Louisville lost by 17 the week before that they beat Georgia Tech the week before that sort of a wild game at home. Uh, but before that, uh, had lost to Pitt on the road by, I think, 17, and they lost by Boston College by 31 at home. So, I mean, they they have not been in a lot of these games that they've played, especially that home one against Boston College, which I know there were some big plays that made that, that game sort of uh, take off, and BC was on a hot streak at that point. But that's still a pretty shocking result uh, for a Virginia team that was on the cusp of bowl eligibility to play like that. So... I guess I can under, kind of understand it being at, at seven and a half or where, wherever it is now, but I think just looking at how the Hokies have played lately, this doesn't feel like a team that should be favored by the seven by seven on the road against anybody. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, Tech has not been an underdog <coughs> against Virginia except for once since 2003, and that was the 2014 game at in Blacksburg, which was the shocking thing. But that was one week after the ignominious 6-3 double overtime loss at Wake. and I think I picked Virginia that year to win, I to end the streak. Too. I did too. Uh, you know, there are, there's always like, 
I'm of the same mindset of you. I'm not going to pick Virginia to win this game until I actually see it win this game. Unless it's like some bizarre circumstances where it's like, oh my, Virginia's number five in the country? The Tech, tech is unranked? That, like, Unless it's something like that, I'm not going to come out and pick this game uh, in favor of the Cavaliers. But I did that year and I got burned by it. I know uh, some writers on the beat. I, I think Teal, in fact, in 2011, remember when the, Mike London's team was like kind of on a roll uh, you know, t- Tech had uh, you know had a pretty good team, but wasn't exactly playing great down the stretch. And every, it's like, oh, this is the year. This is the year that UVA takes over, and then Tech goes into Charlottesville, and beats them thirty-eight to nothing. <laughs> uh, I think Teal was talking earlier this week about how people still like just gave him hell for that pick. Uh, I'm not going to be that bold in this. I, you, I, the Hokies are still favored. This is a team they've beaten thirteen straight years. I'm going to pick the Hokies in this game. Uh, but I think it's going to be a tight one. I think it's one that could, you know, ultimately be very close. And when you have a very close game, you know, a bounce here, a bounce there, it could go the other way. Yeah, we're ruining our prediction segment already. But listen think, to the end anyway. <laughs> I think we both like the points here, is what we're saying. Uh, but you know, and one of the reasons to, to kind of like the points in this scenario is the injuries are kind of piling up for Virginia Tech. Give us a, a synopsis of what they're dealing with injury-wise and how it affects them. Well, they've been without four guys for a while now. Uh, C.J. Carroll has not played in six weeks, I think. Uh, Stephen Peoples has played for like a quarter out of the last six weeks. One one quarter of the game, not a quarter of the games, uh, one quarter of one game of six weeks uh, with a foot problem. Adonis Alexander's been out uh, since the end of the Miami game, cornerback. Uh, a hamstring problem. Yash Nijman's missed the last three games with a leg issue. Uh, I think that one of those four is probably felt the most on this team. I mean, Parker Osterlo is a senior who stepped in at left tackle, but, you know, there were a couple times in the pit game where the guy just blew right by him. I mean, did, didn't even really get a, a hand on him, and I think that's affected Josh Jackson quite a bit uh, in the pocket, not to feel as secure on his blind side like that. But uh, they're piling up at other places, too. You know, Terrell Edmonds just last week is out for the season after shoulder surgery. Uh that's a big deal because, you know, earlier this season they lose Divine Diablo in, in the first week or first month of the year. And he had been playing pretty well, but you go, well, you got Terrell Edmonds. He doesn't really come off the field. Reggie Floyd's played pretty well. well all of a sudden you lose Terrell Edmonds. Those are your top two free safeties from the start of the year. Uh, they moved Mook Reynolds over to free safety to start last week. He looks like he's dealing with a hip problem, I think. And then I don't know if it was a concussion, but he took a blow to the head on that long 74-yard pass play by Pitt uh, when the guy kind of ran over him. You know, he went low to tackle him, and he just looked like he knocked, got knocked out on the field. So nobody really knows his status right now. You could be looking at Khalil Ladler, uh, who made a couple big stops on that goal line stand. You could be looking at him starting at free safety for the first, first time. He wasn't even really on the depth chart. Uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, Vinny Mahota had something, uh, it looked like a, a knee or something like that, kind of buckled under him on that, also on that 74-yard pass play. As if the pass play wasn't bad enough, they also had two starters on their defense go with, down with injuries. Uh, not quite sure what Mook and, and Vinny's status are right now. Uh, Fuente is not one to just come out and volunteer that information during the week, so we'll see if it's on the injury report this later this week. Uh, Trayvon McMillan had a leg issue last week that uh, you know limited him to one snap. He got one carry and it wasn't really in there. Uh, sounds like Jalen Holston also did something in, uh, in the first half. That's why you saw a little bit more of Deshaun McLeese in the second half. 
Joey Sly, the kicker, didn't play last week. He's had a hamstring issue lately. I mean, that is just a laundry list of guys who have been hurt or, or beat up. or And that probably doesn't even list all the guys that at this stage of the season are just hurting because, it, you know, football is a brutal sport. Uh, I think when you add all that up together and you look at the number of starters or potential starters in that group, I think that's why a lot of people say, you know, UVA's got a legitimate shot in this game, especially, you know, he's got a big passing game. If Bankert's on his game, that's a very potent passing attack. They can beat you deep. All of a sudden, you got some new faces in the secondary where you don't possibly don't have Adonis. You won't have Terrell. Who knows what Mook's status is? Uh, that's a lot of guys that you're starting to miss. And uh, this has been a very good defense all year, but you start to chip away at that and chip away at the starters. I think eventually you're going to feel that on the field. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yesterday Fuente says, well, I, you know, this this team that we're going to see on Friday is a lot different than the one we saw last year. And I think the biggest difference is, if you recall last year's game, they did that stupid thing with their quarterbacks, which was one of the most bizarre things. Like, where they're rotating quarterbacks in the middle of series, like three quarterbacks going in. Has, in that, a single, ever, has that ever worked? I know, I know Hokies fans are calling for A.J. Bush to get in the game where I just don't feel like that works or creates any sort of rhythm or continuity on an offense. But, I mean, there's certainly no question who will be trotting out there to run that offense for Virginia. I mean, Binkert, uh, you know, sometimes he throws pick sixes, as uh, Dowdy has, has told us over and over. <laughs> Stop doing that. That's one of the keys. But uh, he does pose a deep threat. He's got a decent uh, – cadre of receivers that can make plays for him um that is a big difference from last year where you didn't know who was going to play and then when they did play they didn't know what they were doing and and they just they just made a complete mess of the position so i mean that that's certainly a big difference for this game yeah i, I think banker was a little beat up in that game too wasn't he dealing with the shoulder issue in the second half of that season i'll have I thought, to go back and look i don't remember exactly i think it was and i think that impacted him quite a bit in that game that's probably why they they went to the second and third string guy. i think the third string guy came in for like his first play he just like rolled out left and fumbled it and matuapawaka returned it for it like it was just it was like the keystone cops out there uh running the offense uh bankard has looked very good this year he's also looked very bad at times uh you know he's one of those guys that uh trying to think of a, a comparison in the NFL. He keeps both teams in the game, it seems like, at some times. He's like Cutler in his prime, maybe? Yeah, somebody maybe, like yeah, somebody like that that's just like Jake Plummer or something like that, yeah. where he can really get on a heater and just like destroy a team like he did early against Miami last week, but then he'll throw a pick six and the other team gets back in. Uh, you know, it, It's kind of a roll of the dice on which banker you're going to get, whether it's going to be the guy that's really on his game uh, you know, that Boise State game, he looked really great. Good. He threw that deep ball to uh, Lavrone, I think, is the receiver, where that was just a beautifully placed pass. I mean, you could not throw it any better than he did. Uh, that's one of the concerns uh, with the Hokies is deep passes and, and giving up long pass plays. So uh, I'm curious to see which Bankert shows up in this game. And obviously had a really good start to the Miami game last week that faded uh, in the second half. But you know, Virginia Tech's probably not operating with a defense quite as good as Miami's right now, given all the injuries. Uh, you know, get a get a guy senior in his last home game like this. Sometimes you get a little special thing going there. It, it'll be a really interesting matchup to see how well he plays in this game. Yeah, I mean, he's the key for them. I mean, they don't run the ball. We were talking <laughs> off air, and you mentioned, well, if they did run the ball well, that would probably be 
bad for them because that's that's one of Tech's strengths is stopping that run. And I guess we should mention while we're talking about stopping the run, I mean Tremaine Edmonds this week was uh, named a finalist for the Buckus Award. That's Buckus pretty- Award, yeah. one of five. Uh, which you know, I think he's been having a great season. I, I think statistically, maybe not quite as good as last year, but uh, you know, sometimes you become a better player and your stats aren't quite as good. Uh, very deserving honor for him. He's got a real interesting decision after the season with the NFL about whether he's going to go pro or not. Uh, you kind of figure with Terrell Edmonds's injury that he'd probably come back for his senior year. I think he was another one who possibly could have gone with a, with a big junior year like this. I think that becomes tougher if you, you have to rehab your shoulder or you probably miss the combine uh, you know, opportunities like that to improve your draft stock. I don't necessarily know if they're a package deal, if they both either wanted to go pro or come back. Uh, I know Terrell is, you know, all the Edmonds brothers skipped a grade uh, when they were reclassifying, coming out of grade school, I think. Uh, so they're pretty, they're younger than usual. I think Tremaine's 19 is a true junior right now. Uh, so it'll be interesting. I think he's got talent to go to the NFL right now. I think he's mentioned uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. mentioned him as a uh, 22nd on his big board or something like that at some point. Uh, but I wonder if he wants to make that leap at this point in his life. So we'll see. But uh, certainly a deserved honor with the Buckus Award, and uh, you know, gets a nice trip down to uh, Atlanta. I think it is this year for the the ceremony that they have the the ESPN show that they do. So uh, it's been a while. I, I want to say it was. Was David Wilson the last Hokie that was in something like that? I can't think of anybody that would have even been considered for something like that, uh, one of those national awards uh, recently. Yeah, I don't know either. Uh, I, I think mean, it was I, David I, Wilson. I think I think it was. Yeah, it might have been. Uh, and, you know, you, you talk about the difficult decision that, that Edmonds has to make after this season. A lot of people have a, a difficult decision to make on Friday. Uh, and Whit Backfalk would be one of them. Uh, his son plays for the Blacksburg High School football team. You covered their game the other night. Um against EC glass where they won. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't, I don't get it. A lot of these, uh, you have the option of playing on Saturday if you want. And these guys have decided they're going to play on Friday nights. And I don't, I don't get it at all. I mean, I think it's, it's just a bummer that they're choosing to do that. Well, if you line up the Venn diagram of high school football fans and college football fans, it's going to be a huge overlap between those two things. Like, why are you making these two groups of fans, which is essentially one group of fans choose, uh, which game they're going to or want to watch? Uh, I mean, it's not like this, it's not like the ACC sprung this black Friday game on everybody this week. Like this has been known since January, February, whenever the schedule came out for the ACC. I would think if you were a high school team, you'd want, like even the gate to be on a Saturday, you'd want to you know cl- steer clear of you know any potential people that want to stay home and watch the you know the rivalry game of the Commonwealth uh, every year on TV. So yeah, I don't really understand the decision. I, I guess it might boil down to these coaches are such creatures of habit that you know we play Friday nights. That there's a schedule that lines up to that. They worry about an extra night, what the players would do given that extra time or something like that. I don't know. It, it just seems stupid to me that uh, anybody would be forcing co- fans of football uh, to make a choice between the high school and the college product in that moment. Yeah, the trite column to write is, well, you know, college get off there. You know, get off those Friday nights. You don't belong there. That's 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 high school night. Well, guess what? Times change. I mean, it's it's times have changed. And guess what? It's cold as hell on Friday nights in late November. Well, Why they, play on play at two o'clock on Friday. Why not? Well, nobody's working. Also, they move a lot of those games to Saturday late in the year anyway. Yes, I remember they do. the uh, the two thousand four 
Virginia Tech-Miami game. It was the de facto ACC championship game they had in Miami. I was covering a Gretna uh, state quarterfinal or something like that in Gretna when that was going on. Uh, so, yeah, they move stuff to Saturday all the time. I, I don't understand why they couldn't do this in this situation. Yeah, I mean, it, if you get a 7 o'clock kick and it's it's home game for your team, it might not be that bad because, you can you know, by the time you get home, you probably see the second half of the Tech-UVA game. So, for, you know, from a Blacksburg perspective, it might not be. But if you're Salem and you're traveling down and you're traveling back, by the time you get home, you know, I mean, it's just, it just seems unnecessarily uh, – you're right. It, it, like, why why do it if you don't have to? Somebody think of the writers in this situation. <laughs> why why couldn't this have been the noon game on Friday? My goodness. I mean, I guess in that sense they did sort of drop it on them, uh, you know, a week yeah. and a half ago. But they knew it was going to be on Friday. But man, this could have been that noon slot. In, instead, that went to Pitt and Miami for some reason. I think I, I would have thought that people would have wanted to see Miami in prime time, but. Uh, I guess that's not the case. Maybe with nothing to play for and Pitt kind of struggling right now, that was not as uh, you know I, yeah, intriguing I, of a matchup as one between state rivals. I don't know how much appeal this this Tech UVA game has outside of the state lines. I just don't know. But um, I'm interested to see what the crowd makeup looks like in Charlottesville because I'm predicting it'll be about 50-50. Uh, you know, UVA is not drawn very well this year. Uh, they're, I think they're averaging fewer than. 40,000, um, even in sort of the revival. It sort of takes time in order for the, the crowds to start catching up to to the results. But uh, I think the Hokies probably got a ton of tickets like they usually do, and they'll be out there in force. I'll go like 60-40 UVA fans. I think it'll be, be. More, I think it'll be more that. I think if this Hokies team had won some of these games, if they had beat Georgia Tech and its only loss was to Miami and Clemson, that, that'd be one thing. Uh, obviously, if it had beat Miami and this is a top 10 team, there'd be all sorts of attention to this game and Hokies fans would be really geeked up to travel for this. Uh, I just think maybe there's a little bit of shine has been taken off the Virginia Tech season the last couple of weeks and maybe that would make people a little more hesitant to travel to this thing. Well, certainly the shine has come off of Jackson, Josh Jackson, the quarterback. And I don't think it's entirely his fault. Um, you mentioned all the injuries. You mentioned Najman's injury in particular being a big factor there. But there's no question that his his numbers, his season arc, has not been what the Hokies would, would want. Uh, he's, he's thrown one touchdown, three interceptions in November. Um, he struggled again the other night uh, despite the victory. What's up with Josh? Uh, and what, you know, I, 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 I heard what, Fuente said, but why don't you tell us what Fuente said he wants out of Jackson? He said he wants Josh to be better at making the average plays, more consistent at making the average plays, and then you know worry, you know, outstanding plays will come every now and then, like they always do. But uh, there have been open throws the last couple weeks that he just needs to be better on. Uh, you know, Fuente mentioned the interception wasn't his fault. Uh, Savoy and him kind of got mixed up on which direction the pass was going to go. Savoy cut in, pass went outside, and it got picked off. Uh, but, you know, he missed uh, a little pop pass. Uh, it looked like an RPO that, uh, you know, he pulled up and threw it to Savoy early in the game. It was behind him. If he hits him in stride, that's a touchdown. 
Uh, Phil Patterson, who has been playing recently after missing the first half of the year, was wide open across the middle. And that's a throw where if you just lofted enough, he could run under it. At the very least, it's a big gain. Uh, instead, he overthrows him. They get nothing out of that. I mean, those are those are two touchdown plays. I know they went on to score a touchdown that first drive where he missed Savoy, but you know, one touchdown in that game makes a huge difference. I mean, this is the difference between winning some of these games comfortably and having a white knuckle finish, uh, relying on the defense to make a goal line stand like that. So uh, he has not been as sharp. Again, Fuente, and you know, I think this is true, comes back to the fact that he doesn't have a whole lot of help around him. I mean, those guys have played okay, uh, but you start removing a Nijman, a Peoples, a Carroll, uh, all three potential starters. Uh, Trayvon McMillan's not in there. The running game did a little bit better, but hasn't been great all season. Uh, you know, you start putting in new linemen up front. You still have a young receiving core. I think it was just going to be a process this year. And the fact that they played a really easy schedule early on sort of masked that fact. I, I think he had that early success and people go, oh, well, he's going to have the success all year. Well, that's not how college football works. There's sort of an ebb and a flow to the season. Uh, this is the rough patch, and you know I think a lot of people have seen that first rough patch for him and say, he can't do it. Got to go to Hendon Hooker next year. Got to go to somebody else. Uh, I don't think the coaches think that way. Let's put it that way, that they think that there is a maturation process that all quarterbacks go through, and it's going to take time for a redshirt freshman to really play uh, you know, better than he has recently. Well, I wasn't able to make it to the press conference yesterday. Uh, I did watch it online, and it, I didn't feel like I missed very much by not being there. Uh, it's all podium crap. You did crap. not. You did not. But one thing I did stand out to me, and this is kind of the second time this has happened, but you know, you have Fuente come up there and say, I want him to do the average things. And I think it was Norm Wood, or, or it might have been you, when when Josh came up later, he's like, well, Fuente says you want to do, he wants you to do the average things better. And Josh basically was like, okay. You know, like, it was almost like they hadn't communicated this. Like, you would think you would have, like, sort of, you remember back when Al Groh would tell somebody something and, like, they would parrot it exactly. Yes. Like, Josh and, and, uh, Fuente, they just don't. I don't because we had that incident after what was it, Georgia Tech game? Georgia where, Tech, yeah. Where he was, was he taken out or wasn't he taken out? Um, I don't know. Did Did you get the sense that like maybe this hadn't been communicated uh, well to him that this is what they want out of him? Well, I will say in this situation, they did not practice on Sunday. Okay. They just lifted and ran, okay. so it wasn't like a full scale review like they normally do. So maybe that was part of the reason why. Uh, I still feel like Josh probably had an idea that that was the case. Maybe that's just kind of how he reacts to everything uh, when asked about it. Uh, it. It's not a great situation to be in, and the podium is like, this is what the coach is saying about your subpar performance <laughs> lately. Please give me a response. Uh, that's a tough spot to be in as a person, anybody, you know, responding to that question. So maybe that's why uh, the answer seemed a little uh, strange or all, like he was caught off guard by it. But I think he knows that. I mean, he, he talked about it after the game that, you know, he's got to hit Phil Patterson on that pass. He's got to hit Savoy on that one earlier. Uh, but I think he's the kind of guy that is not going to beat himself up about a performance. You know, he said it after the game, you know, he's like, you know, I didn't play that great, but we won, so I don't care. Right. And I think people took that way too literally or they, they just took it way out of context like oh he should care you know you need you know he cares about his performance he cares about getting better uh and this team i think he was just saying uh, as long as the team is achieving things i don't care whether my individual performance was as good as it was or not yeah i don't think he can win in that situation no, no matter I, what, I don't what, no matter what he says i, I mean, just 
it, it bothers me when somebody sees a Twitter quote like that and then jumps like, oh my gosh, these guys are so entitled, don't care about anything. It's like, it's not, come on now. Like, you can't get, you can't succeed in sports if that were truly your attitude. Right. Uh, like, oh, I, you know, I don't care how it goes. I mean, maybe, you know, Jay Cutler has gotten by all these years. <laughs> it's our second Jay Cutler mentioned in this, uh, this podcast. But, you know, even he cares more than he, he you know, outwardly lets on. Uh, in his very memeable face with the smoking of the cigarettes. But, uh, no, these guys care. Uh, and, you know, the, the quote, I think, sort of got misconstrued there. Uh, I think, uh, you know, some very reasonable people also argued on this. It's not what he's saying. He's saying he, ca- he just cares about the te- team achievement more than anything. But I think he sort of got unfairly criticized for that particular quote. Yeah. Despite our mentions of Cutler, we're, neither one of us is a big NFL fan anymore. I mean, I, well, I my, fan, my fantasy team is actually doing pretty well oh, despite all my injuries in. this year. Yeah, I, I, I've I, lost Odell Beckham and Deshaun Watson this year, and I'm still doing pretty well. So I'm back, I'm I'm half back in, and the Vikings have been good this year. So well, Thanksgiving is sort of a an NFL celebration, and this has something to do with the Virginia Tech with Tyrod situation last week. I, I I don't know if I'd been as interested in, in the result of a game as I was after they benched Tyrod. The Bills benched. Tyrod after, you know, uh, admittedly a subpar performance against the Saints. And he wasn't very good the previous week against the Jets either. But they were still 5-4. and four. And he's, you know, he's only got thrown three interceptions all season. And they benched him for this Nathan Peterman guy. And I, you know, I found myself in the morning. I was like, I want to see the Bills get boat raced. And, I, and I'm sure Tyrod way back in the in the back of his mind was hoping the very same thing and and tell us what happened it was pretty amazing what happened out there after that five interceptions <laughs> in the first half i was like sort of i wasn't watching the game i don't know if it was televised locally but I, you know twitter was blowing up about <laughs> this and it wasn't just like hokey's twitter it was like oh this is what you get for benching tyrod it was national twitter that was jumping on it's like are you watching this this is unbelievable you know i saw the highlights later and his offensive line did not help him. Let's start with that. He was thrown off his back foot while he was getting hit several times. But he was also thrown off his back foot and making just decisions that you can't make as an NFL quarterback. Uh, and I think the Bills coach afterwards is like, I don't regret the decision. It's like, <laughs> you should regret the decision. Are you kidding me? If you can't regret that decision, can you ever regret a decision as a head coach? It, First of all, it's unfair to everybody involved. It's unfair to Tyrod because he didn't. You know, the team was in the playoff hunt beforehand. You don't bench a quarterback for one or two bad starts like that. Certainly not when he is not the lone player to blame for this. I mean, they gave up 47 points to New Orleans. I don't think Tyrod Taylor is playing defense. You know, they, like everybody had a rushing touchdown in that game. So many people got rushing touchdowns in that game that Trey Edmonds got his first career rushing touchdown in that game. Right. And he's not even, like, up on the depth chart. I mean, they've got Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara. I mean, they've got everybody high on that depth chart. So the fact they got to Trey Edmonds, who's probably there just for his special teams prowess, uh, got the score touchdown, tells you how bad that defense was. So, you know, it wasn't fair to Tyrod to get benched in the first place. It wasn't fair to Peterman to be thrown in that situation. He Agreed. obviously was not ready for it. Uh, you know, that's part of being a coach is not throwing your guy into a situation that he's not ready for. You know, there was enough pressure on him because of the ridiculous benching on Tyrod that, okay, now go into this game and, uh, you're a rookie quarterback who's never played before. And, uh, it didn't look like they were giving him much help in terms of blocking. Like 
have you scarred that guy forever in his progress? I mean, if, you know, if you're a pro, you bounce back from something like that, but it's going to stick with you for a while. I, and it was a disservice to the team. I mean, they, they had no shot of winning that game. That was a winnable game. The Chargers were like three and six or something like that coming into that game. That's a game you have to win if you want to make the playoffs. I, I don't – I mean – Who's the coach? Maroney? Uh, McDermott. McDermott. Uh, I, I think it's McDermott. Oh, yeah, I think uh, I just completely illogical, indefensible. And it, this is not second-guessing. The, in the moment that it happened, everybody's like – what? <laughs> like even non-Virginia Tech fans are like, "What are you doing here?" Like, the Bills have been just very bizarre all season. They they trade away Sammy Watkins. It's like they're sort of half going for it, but half not. And it's like, I don't know. That seems like a, a bad situation going forward for Tyrod to be. They've never really like fully committed to him as the quarterback there, and he's sort of on that that line between whether he's a guy that you can trust as your starting quarterback or whether you have to search for somebody else. And the Bills have been waffling back and forth on that for a couple of years. At a certain point, if you're him, you're like, can I just go somewhere else where they think I'm actually going to be a, a decent starting option? Right, not this year because the trade deadline's passed. But, yeah, and I feel bad that there had to be a sacrificial lamb in Peterman for this to happen. But there is no better way for a half to go if you're going to be benched and I know he wants the team to win because he wants to be in the playoffs, but wow, I can only imagine that is like the dream scenario for just awfulness. After, after like pick number five, you think the coach is like, where's Tyrod? He's like, he's sitting over in the corner of the bench, like sipping tea. It's like, <laughs> Oh, you want me back? Is that right? And you, obviously you go into a game where you're down by you know, 40 points or whatever it was. Like you're going to probably play a pretty soft defense at that point. They're not going to be coming. I think you put up pretty good numbers the rest of the game um, in large part because the defense wasn't exactly coming after it like they were uh, the previous guy. But I mean, man, I just cannot think of a time recently where a coach has messed up the quarterback situation as badly as, I mean, they had a decent thing going there too. It's not like they were, it's not like they were two and seven. It's like, okay, you know, maybe see what right. Peter, Peterman's exactly. got for next year. They're in the playoff race. It's like, if this is the competition that the Patriots have to face in the AFC East, them, the butt-fumbled Jets, uh, the Dolphins, who are a joke right now, we have Jay Cutler, third third Jay Cutler reference in the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's no wonder they've won the division 15 straight years or whatever it is. <laughs> your, your NFL knowledge is really good. I'm telling uh, you, man. You've been waiting to explode on all of this. You know, it's it's because the Vikings are actually decent this yeah. year. I'll, I'll tell you, Teal tweeted at me this week. Is this the Vikings year? And I'm like, Teal, 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 Teal. You just, you don't get Teal it. Teal also <laughs> came over to us and said, I'm picking Virginia this week. It's the Vikings. Wrong. The Vikings reckoning is coming this year. It always does. Case Keenum is their quarterback. That's going to catch up to them eventually. Uh, I will not be predicting the Vikings in the Super Bowl in their home stadium this year, which would be kind of cool if they could qualify, but I, it's just not going to happen. Well, I want Tyrod to finish the season as the starter, and I want him to finish second on the team in interceptions behind Nate Peterman, who played one half of football. Okay, uh, let's go to your polls. Not a lot of crazy action this week in terms of upsets, but uh, the Hokies are back in, right? Yes. Uh, my top... 11 was all the same from the previous week. This was the the bye week, essentially, for these teams. You could spell that B-U-Y uh, with some of the games that they play. Good one. Uh, yeah, like, I understand why teams do it. It's smart if you have this huge rivalry game coming up. 
you want to rest your players. I mean, I think Virginia Tech would have loved to have played a team like Mercer last week and rested half their starters and gotten them healthy. Uh, but if you're a fan, doesn't that just stink? <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm here and they're playing Mercer. Alabama's playing Mercer. Why would I even show up to this game? Just tailgate and then go home before the game even starts. Uh, so yeah, it was a bad week for games. Not very much uh, churn on the, the poll this week. I did get Virginia Tech back in at number 24. Uh, wasn't a rousing win against Pitt by any stretch of the imagination. Just kind of looking at their uh, resume overall. Maybe treated them a little harshly last week. Uh but I looked at probably six or seven teams at the bottom of the poll beyond the top 25, and everybody's got question marks. In, 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 everybody's got a real black mark on their resume at this point. I ended up putting Wake Forest in the top 25 at number 25 behind the Hokies. Uh, I'd also considered Louisville and NC State, but Wake Forest has beaten both of them. Uh, I considered Boise State, and then I just couldn't get that image of UVA putting it on them earlier this year out of my mind. Uh, Michigan I considered, but they, they've beaten everybody they've supposed to and lost everybody they're supposed to this year. I just that's not a team that has really impressed me too much. South Carolina was in there, but they have you know, they've built an eight and three record off a bunch of S bad SEC East teams. Uh, it gets really muddled at the bottom of the poll. So I think some people wonder, oh, you know, why would the Hokies move back in? It's like there's not a lot of great options down there. So they're back in. Uh, West Virginia fell out, and I think West Virginia is not going to be heard from again this year with Will Greer getting hurt. They're playing Oklahoma this week. Uh, I think there's a reason why uh, Lincoln Riley punished Baker Mayfield for his obscene gesture by not starting him this week. It's because he could do that and still reasonably expect to win this game running away. Uh, so yeah, very little turnover, but, uh, you know, hopefully this week it'll be a little more interesting. Well, you touched on the bowl situation earlier, but I was excited when I read your five thoughts this week and you said this, that, that pit win probably locks up Florida for these guys. Explain. Well, as I mentioned before, uh, they have the third best record in the ACC right now, and it doesn't go strictly by record, but, when you're in that mix and you have a reputation for traveling like Virginia Tech does, which is probably better than NC State, um, on the whole, maybe better than Louisville. I'm not sure. Certainly better than Wake Forest. Certainly better than UVA. I mean, these are the teams you're probably going to be judged against in terms of uh, you know attractiveness for a bowl game. Uh, when I'm picking third in the ACC order, once you get to that third spot, Virginia Tech looks like a very likely option there. Now, you know, one team is probably going to the playoff. I would imagine unless Clemson or Miami lose this week in a rivalry game. Uh, if Clemson loses South Carolina or Miami loses to Pitt, uh, that could throw off the possibility that you're almost guaranteed to have an ACC team in the playoff. But uh, one team will probably go to the playoff there. The loser of that ACC title game will probably go to the Orange Bowl then as the yeah. replacement. There's some other things at work, though. Uh, if Notre, Notre Dame is part of the ACC Bowl lineup, but they could get in a New Year's Six game anyway. They could just qualify for one. They're 9-2 and two right now, I think. Uh, play Stanford this week. If they win that, I think they pretty much guarantee that they'll be in a New Year's Six game. Uh, if a Big Ten team plays um, the ACC representative in the Orange Bowl, that opens up the Citrus Bowl for the ACC. Uh, you know, Wisconsin and Ohio State are going to meet in the, the Big Ten title game more than likely. I don't know if Ohio State is locked up inside the division, but uh, say Ohio State wins that game, 
and doesn't get into the playoffs. Say some other team goes to the playoff instead of them. Uh, you know, the Rose Bowl is a semifinal this year. Ohio State would probably be the highest ranked team between the SEC, uh, Big Ten, and Notre Dame. That would put them in the Orange Bowl. That would all of a sudden open up another Orlando Bowl, the Citrus Bowl. So it goes Citrus Bowl, possibly, then the Camping World Bowl, which is also in Orlando, and then you get to those Tier 1 Bowls. Uh, looking at the Tier 1 Bowls, uh, you've got the Sun Bowl, where Tech has been recently, and I don't think they like to send a team out there all too frequently because it's a very difficult trip for teams to make. Uh, Charlotte, the Belk Bowl, Tech just went there last year. There's some other options with Wake Forest, possibly UVA going there. Uh, Pinstripe Bowl is a northern bowl. I think a team like BC would be more attractive there uh, just because it's a shorter trip. Uh, and then you get this weird sort of Tax Slayer and Music City Bowl. Tax Slayer is the one in Jacksonville, Music City Bowl in Nashville, where they split that between the Big Ten and the ACC. Uh, they've got a six-year agreement, and so far there have been more ACC teams in the Music City Bowl than Jacksonville. So I, I think Jacksonville is a real possibility there. Historically, Tech has had a good relationship with Jacksonville. I mean, they, they used to go there every single year, either yeah. for Gator Bowl or ACC Championship. So I think there was some Jacksonville fatigue there with this fan base for a while. But it's been a long time. It's been nine years, I think, yeah. since they've been there. So eight or nine years, whatever it is, I, I think that would be a, a very viable option now if it's there. So that's why I say you know, there's a possibility that two Orlando Bowls are available. Jacksonville is a very – likely tier one bowl of that group. I, I think one of those Florida destinations is where they're winding up. Okay. You know, some years you, you find out your bowl destination before the title game's even, you know, been played. But I don't think it's, you know, a lot of dominoes are going to fall that weekend, so probably won't know, right? You can't. I mean, especially with, you know, Notre Dame's situation with the Citrus Bowl, you know, possibly being open depend on, on how those final rankings, everything has, the rankings have to come out first. They have to slot all the teams and then you'll see where the rest of it, the dominoes kind of fall. Gotcha. All right. Well, tech will certainly help its, uh, its bowl selection opportunities by winning this week. If they can win Andy, the, the we'll set the line at seven and a half. Uh, that's where it is right now. Who do you got and, and why? And, um, what's your score? I'm taking Virginia tech 23 to 20. Uh, I don't think this is a game that the Hokies can win it running away. They just don't sort of have that explosiveness on offense right now. There are so many injuries on defense that I think they are vulnerable to a UVA offense if UVA's offense really gets going. Uh, I you, know, you think about picking Virginia in a game like this, playing at home, and then you know, I honestly I looked at the, their recent schedule, and I'm like, man, Virginia's played pretty well lately. And then I look at the schedule, and it's like that's a lot of double-digit losses recently with one, you know, pretty good win with Georgia Tech thrown into the middle. And I, I think people look at, you know, Virginia played Miami better than Virginia Tech did, probably, even though the final score was about the same margin. Certainly played Georgia Tech better than Virginia Tech did. I think people look at those, you know, sort of common opponents recently, and they, that's why uh, there's so much love for the Cavaliers right now. I sort of look at the situation that Virginia Tech is in where there's so many injuries, they've not played well offensively, uh, but I, I just can't pick against Virginia Tech in this game yet. I, like I said before, I'm going to have to see Virginia win it uh, before I can actually pick them to win going forward. So I'll take the Hokies in, in a tight one. Well, one of Doug Dowdy's five thoughts after the Virginia-Miami uh, game was that this this offensive line for UVA is on its last legs. You know, it's it's not 
you know, it's been kind of taped together all season. And that's not a good thing when you have Virginia Tech coming in. I mean, that's that's a unit that's still fairly healthy, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot of uh, guys missing on, on that front, right? Vinny, we'll see what, what Vinny's Vinny, situation right. I don't know exactly uh, how se- severe that is. But, yeah, him and, you know, you lose Mook possibly. I mean, he'll, he'll play safety if he's out there. Uh, you got Deion Newsom and Anthony Chigag at the whip spot. But you still got Matua Pawaka and Tremaine Edmonds in the middle. You still got Tim Settle, Ricky Walker, who are a real handful on the interior. Trayvon Hill had a, a great game uh, against Pitt. That's a lot of guys coming at you that can make plays in that defensive front. Yeah, I think one of those guys up there is going to be your player of the game. I kind of feel that way. and Or maybe it leads to some guy getting two picks and one of them being a return for a touchdown or something. But I think Binkert's going to be under a lot of pressure. So I'm going to go Tech 28-24. I do think you know Virginia's much improved, um, and they can keep it close, but I just don't have any faith in them winning I got the win last week in terms of you the did. cover. I, right? I was wrong. I, what did I say? 42-10 or something like that. I thought it would be a butt whooping. Yeah. That was way off. So I've had – I think that's two straight covers correct that I've had. I got the Miami one wrong. we got to go back and total up what our, our overall record is for the season. We should. All right. Well, I hope everyone has a great Thanksgiving and enjoys the game on Friday night. We'll be back next week to break it all down. Be sure to uh, – Check out all our coverage on Roanoke.com in the meantime. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. Have a happy holiday.